Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. I don't know if you can hear it in my background, but I do have waves crashing and palm trees blowing. (laughs) No, I am not in California where I live. I'm actually in Oahu, Hawaii. My family is actually asleep. It's very early in the morning, and I thought I would get a podcast uh, recorded early, so I'm out of my deck. Uh, They call it the lanai here. so fancy. But anyway, I'm really happy to be with you, and today I'm going to talk about the 25 modifier. Why not? You know, when you're in Hawaii, talk about something that drives you crazy, right? And that way I can go to the pool, go to the lagoons later, the beach, and then relax about it. But the 25 modifier, oh my goodness, has this been just a thorn in our side over the last, what, 100 years? At least the last 10. Because we have, it's always, well, first of all, it's always on the OIG work plan. It's always under scrutiny. Um, I think that any podcast I'm invited to talk on, they're like, let's talk about the 25 modifier. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, people, let's not. But we have to talk about it because it is something that's used with all specialties throughout any coding that you do, because we are now in a world where a patient doesn't just come in for an office visit. They come in a lot of times to get many things done. So they can get, you know, um, lesion removals done. They can get polyps removed. They can get a stress test. They can have uh, an injection performed. And so we have to decide, is it appropriate to also build a 25 modifier with an with a procedure on an ENM service. So we would put the 25 modifier on the evaluation and management or the visit code uh, in addition to a possible minor or um, diagnostic procedure, depending on what we're seeing, the trends of our payers when they want to deny something, but also looking at it from is it a significantly separately identifiable service. So we have to first know the definition of what is significant. Secondly, is it a separate identifiable service or is it really part of the ENM service? And when should it be allowed? So I'm going to give you my, I don't want to say it my best guess, but my best professional opinion and just kind of explain what I think best practices is, especially if someone comes knocking on your door for an audit. Now, are there certain specialties that are being, I would say, targeted for the 25 modifier? Unfortunately, yes. One is dermatology and the other is primary care. And the reason is, is because it seems like in primary care, there's a lot of uh, split visits, meaning the preventative and then also an office visit. And I know I've done a, a podcast on that before. In the dermatology practice, there's almost always some kind of uh, skin eruption removal, and then an office visit. And we have to really look at the reality of why payers don't want to pay for both. Okay, so does let's start off with dermatology. Does the biopsy of a lesion ever allow for a separately identifiable E&M service? So the answer is yes, because I asked the question, does it ever allow? So we have to ask, or I should say we should answer these two questions first. So first, what is significant separately identifiable ENM? So that's a service above and beyond usual preoperative and postoperative care. So there is an inherent 
amount of ENM in every minor procedure and even some diagnostics. So it is a service above and beyond usual preoperative and postoperative care associated with a performed procedure or test. It may be prompted by the symptom or condition for which the procedure and or service was provided, meaning that we didn't know we were going to do it, but the complaint that the patient had coming in now prompts a further discussion. Um, different diagnoses are not required for reporting the ENM on the same date according to CPT, but I'm going to give you best practices. You need to have different diagnoses. So even though it says it's not necessary or not required, I should say, it, in the, actually, let me backtrack. It says different diagnoses are not required, so it's not mandated. But is it necessary? Yes, because you have to try and reflect that significant separately identifiable service. And how do you do that if the diagnosis is the same? Now, the ENM requires a medically necessary history or exam and medical decision making. Okay, so you have to have something that you had to work up above and beyond that pre and post operative work associated with that procedure or um, diagnostic. So what is pre and post operative care? Okay, so what that is, and this is probably the most important topic to think about as a coder, a biller, somebody who's um, a provider, somebody who's reporting directly to the payer. Preoperative and postoperative care, those are the services provided to ensure the best possible surgical outcomes based on acceptable medical practices. So it includes a certain amount of inherent ENM, which is why payment for that ENM is bundled into the procedure and not separately reported. That's all over Medicare. So when a patient presents solely for the purpose of a planned minor procedure or for the purpose of a planned testing, like a stress test, etc., and no other patient problem or complaint is made, then there is no separately identifiable ENM. The initial evaluation for the procedure is also included. So for example, the provider must determine if the patient has a preclusive history or allergies, evaluate the patient's fit for the procedure and why they would or would not be, evaluation of the patient can tolerate the procedure, ensure pa patient consent after education, and that the patient understands post-operative instructions. That's all part of a minor procedure, believe it or not. So if there's something above and beyond that, that's a concern that needs to be worked up, then you may have an option for an additional ENM service. So making the decision to use the 25. Your physician must be able, your provider must be able to defend the history exam and medical knowledge, professional skill, and work time that was above and beyond what is usually required solely for the procedure. So to help you make that determination, you need to answer a couple of questions first. And these questions, if you answer yes, then the ENM is likely significant and separately identifiable. So first one, are the signs, symptoms, and or conditions the physician or other qualified healthcare professional must address before deciding to perform a biopsy. So does the pa is the patient on Coumadin? Um, could the patient have an allergic reaction? What is the potential risk on that, um, removing that biopsy on that patient? And it has to be individual to the patient. Is there a risk? If there's not, then there may not be an ENM. Was the biopsy unscheduled, unplanned, and as a result of a same-day history and exam that was provided to determine the nature and extent of the problem, okay, not an assumption or to confirm the problem, to determine the extent of the problem, 
and to decide on a recommended therapeutic or diagnostic workup or treatment plan. So you were not anticipating taking it off. You were not anticipating, um, you know, a removal or a procedure. You were trying to figure out what was the next step or are there other complaints, problems, or diagnoses present that are being addressed and are affected um, the or affecting the patient treatment outside the need for the biopsy? So when you get all those questions answered in a yes form, then you may have not just medically necessary uh, support, but also, uh, you know, likely able to bill for that E&M service. So when you look at this from a payment perspective, which we have to, we always say follow the money, some payers may decide not to pay for a same-day E&M code with a procedure code, with or without a modifier. The impact on payment does not make it inappropriate to code for services that are actually rendered, and Medicare and other payers do not require the 25 modifier sometimes on new patients because by their nature, they're excluded from the surgical package and can be reimbursed separately. But make sure you know which payers those are because sometimes they do want that 25 modifier to reflect exactly what I said, that there was something above and beyond that inherent E&M service. And then no specialty differentiation between CMS. So they do not differentiate, they do not, sorry, CMS does not differentiate the use of the modifier 25 by medical specialty. So, and it would be inappropriate to treat let's say a dermatologist or a primary care physician or even a cardiologist different so from other specialties. So here's an example of different specialty. A cardiologist sees a patient with a new complaint of chest pain or discomfort, provides a history and exam, and decides from that history and exam and that workup, decides to perform a stress test on the same date. Would they code both the ENM service and the stress test? Maybe. Depending on what the workup showed and the risk to the patient, and why the stress test is needed beyond that E&M only and why it had to be on the same day is important to document. But if the patient, let's say, just presented to the practice from an outside community physician for a stress test, then only that stress test is coded. Let's say you have an orthopedic physician seeing a new patient with a complaint of knee pain. They provide a history and exam, and the physician decides to do an injection on the same day. Do you get to code both the E&M service with the 25 modifier and the injection? Well, the answer is maybe. So if that patient also had other risk factors or the workup showed that the injection was a, another appropriate or let's say a more appropriate treatment than what the patient's already been, do been doing to get some relief, then yes, you could have it. So for example, what would I want to see in the note? I wouldn't want to just see a history and exam and then we're going to, therefore we're going to go ahead and do a, an injection. I'd want to see the patient first tried conservative treatment with physical therapy, the first patient first tried over-the-counter medications and swimming in their pool and they determined that this just wasn't working. So after that, we're going to attempt to provide injection of XYZ and then we will, um, and, and then you might be able to have your E&M service because now you are showing that you actually went over things that were not just about the injection, you're actually showing your thought process in the whole medical decision-making process. So, you know, let's say a dermatologist seeing a patient with a new complaint of raised and tender skin provides a history and exam and decides to do a biopsy in the same day. Do you get to have that biopsy? Well, maybe, and, well, you'd get to have the biopsy, but let, do you get to have the E&M? Well, maybe, but the patient 
is they presented to the office with a scheduled biopsy, then only the biopsy is coded. Same with the injection I meant to mention. If the patient presented to the orthopedic physician for a scheduled injection, only the injection is coded, not an ENM, because you've already taken away the medical decision. You know what's going to happen. It's very tricky with dermatology and, and um, primary care when you're dealing with, with skin procedures, especially in derm, because it seems like every encounter with the patient is a full body exam, you know, and if that's the case where every time they come back, the patient is anticipating having something removed. And I've noticed when on the audits I've seen from OIG, that's what they think, then there that's where the problem lies. So it, it's just really important to understand what the different um, specialties garner, even though they can't be treated differently, they, they definitely have the same impact on the 25 modifier. Now make sure when you are looking this up with Medicare on what you can or can't do in that, they call it the, the kind of the global period or non-global period, it's Medicare Claims Processing Manual Chapter 12, 30.6.6, and it talks about that 25 modifier on an ENM um, on the same date. And it even goes on to say they may pay for it, but it has to go above and beyond that usual pre- and post-operative work of the procedure. It says different diagnoses are not required, but then it goes on to say that it must be appropriately and significantly documented by the physician and non-physician practitioner to support the claim for those services. So you, you have to just really be heads up about using the 25 modifier and know that it has to be above and beyond. Otherwise, it's really hard to get that 25 modifier um, added. And it's not just what the CPT book says. Remember, you also then have to go to what the payer policy is, uh, whether it be Medicare or third-party payer, and figure out what their substantiated by documentation means. So what satisfies their criteria for that ENM service? I know Noridian Medicare has something very specific versus, you know, maybe Novitas or another Medicare carrier. So it's important to have all those rules. But the biggest thing that you want to take away is knowing what preoperative and postoperative care is on a procedure or a test, that there is a part of that that's already inherent to that procedure. The CodeCast podcast today is also brought to you by American Airlines Advantage Plus Card. Go to Citibank.com to join today. Advantage Mileage Up Card. So I have a coding question today that has come up again. I just want to clarify for those of you that are doing anticoagulant management for patients taking morphine. Uh, Coumadin is really what you're looking for. I'm noticing that some people are going back to the nurse visit and a blood draw, which is incorrect coding. So you would have the code that came became effective in 2019, and that is 93793, anticoagulant management for patient taken morphine. You must review and interpret a new either home, office, or lab INR test result. Give patients instructions, dosage adjustment if needed, and then scheduling of additional tests when performed. Can you also code for the, if you provide it in your office, can you code for the actual uh, blood draw and blood test? You can code for the 85610, that's a clear way of test, so you'd have to add the Meyer, uh, modifier QW, but you would not want to code for the finger stick because that's the 36416, that has a B status, and that's bundled for these services when billed on the same date as the 
uh, anticoagulant management code. So it's that's included of that. But what's nice about this code is that let's say the patient went to an outside lab of your office, and then you got the test result, and then a mid-level provider called them at home to give them the information. Well, 93793 can be billed with a place of service 11. It doesn't have a site of service differential. It's also used when the patient comes in the house, but you just want to make sure that you're not coding a nurse visit or a you know 36416 or 415 for a blood draw anymore because that is not how you code for a pro time. So hopefully that was helpful. Okay, everyone. Well, I'm now getting ready to go down to the beach. So thank you very much for listening in to the CodeCast podcast this week. And I will talk to you next week when I am back on the mainland. So for now, make it a great day, a great rest of your week. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma. Music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>